Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm here with Phil Goldfeder, Michael Fragan, and we are coming from Central Perk in downtown Cedarhurst, New York, on a sunny March day, sunny yet chilly March day. And we are still in the sub 100 days of the Trump presidency. And boy, is it an exciting political week. Coming to you on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, as well as around the world on our roots, Sheva, Israel National News slash radio. And Phil, good morning. Good morning, Michael. Michael, it doesn't matter what the weather is. Opening day for baseball season is on Sunday. <laughs> it's unbelievable, isn't it? Hopefully, hopefully we can get out of the 30s for the, before that <laughs> happens. And, and you know what that means. You know what springtime means. <laughs> well, that means it's actually budget time in, in uh, Washington. And if you think the fight over healthcare was bad, possibly the a potential for government shutdown that is going to be even more interesting, and that is that is actually upon us. I mean, you think that we get, this administration has been kind of lurching from crisis to crisis. I don't want to say they've had no successes because they actually have accomplished oh, quite, uh, I think, quite a bit. But a lot of that has been overshadowed, unfortunately, by their own doing. But if you want to see a crisis like we've had in the past, particularly with regard to government shutdown and potential for, you know, mass, uh, well, mass significant issues across the board that we might have, if you think that the that the Freedom Caucus didn't want to get health care done, they're not going to want to pass a spending bill that is going to potentially uh, add to the deficit, et cetera. Well, look, I, you know, whether government is shut down because of lack of action or government is shut down because of President Trump's uh, historically slashing every agency to the bare bones and their just inability to actually do what they're mandated to do, I think that we're in for a, for a rough road ahead. We're in for a fight. Well, yeah, it's, gonna, <laughs> it's definitely going to be – give us a lot to talk about for sure. Well, I mean, there's two ways to approach this, I think, that, you know, we think about – so first you have the budget, and, you know, the, the government can continue with budget extenders, et cetera. They don't have to actually enact the new budget, which is the Trump budget, which I think is obviously most – as many executive budgets are, it's dead on arrival. It doesn't come – it comes into Washington, and then it goes ahead. Well, and it's a negotiating, it's it's exactly. negotiating position. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's been the Trump way. You know, you negotiate – extreme position that you get back to the middle he said that that's the way he did it i don't know we can we'll talk about we'll unpack health care in a minute and see what what that debacle you know, was you like. know i can't wait but you know then you also have the debt ceiling which of course is not really is kind of a binary issue the debt ceiling either you either you increase the debt ceiling or you don't increase the debt ceiling and the government eventually runs out of money if we don't increase that we've had that crisis before and you know there are a lot of conservatives uh, and the Republicans who probably feel emboldened by the fact that there's all Republican as uh, all Republican government that they can actually you know, do, do, use this to tackle the debt and I don't know. I mean, Washington, the, the amount of dysfunction that exists right now, it's going to be hard to say that we could be headed for a serious showdown. Uh, are we talking about using this opportunity for a Republican controlled House, Senate, and Presidency much like we used it to help us change health care repeal and 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 reform and replace well let's step However, back let's step back for a second now I'll, I'll set the table here for a second you know the republicans as we all know spent seven years bashing obamacare and saying that they were going to repeal and replace it and when the time came to actually do it it didn't happen now that's not saying it won't happen because there seems to be a difference of opinion there seems to be two minds within the trump white house as to whether it's going to happen he says that it's still going to happen sean spicer gets up there and say it's dead and people say yes it's going to happen it's not going to happen i don't know but this was an epic fail i think that that's that's the case and you know part of there are two reasons i think number one is you essentially it's not just democrats and republicans in the con in the house right now you have democrats you have republicans you have the freedom caucus 
They, it, you, think the Republicans, you think the Republicans are the majority, but they don't actually have enough votes to pass anything. Uh, and without- this, is, this is the most fascinating thing, and I, let's take a moment to explain, right? What the Freedom Caucus is, essentially, is the far-right, um, idealistic wing of the Republican Party who, re- who, who I think proved just a few years ago they rather shut down government than actually accomplish something, than actually move America forward. Um, and actually get something done and be pragmatic about, about delivering for the people they represent. They rather do nothing. They say this, they scream it from the rooftops, and they are the reason why Donald Trump is, didn't get health care done in the House and, and the Senate and the legislature was, were unable to do anything last week. Um, and we saw what is tantamount to an epic failure. And one of, I would say, and, and, and with all the, the gaffes and all the mistakes and all the problems we have seen in this first 100 days, this had to be by far the worst because this was literally showing a not not a not a, a small crack but a huge crack in the Donald Trump armor because what we have said Michael what you and I have said all along is that at some point you can no longer rule by executive order at some point you've got to look to the legislature you've got to look to to congressional leaders and actually negotiate and make a deal this is Donald Trump who literally spent his entire campaign in every rally talking about how we're going to make a deal. And one of his one of his key points was about repealing uh, and replacing Obamacare. And quite frankly, when it came to getting it done, believe me, I'll be mm-hmm. able to make the deal. Believe me. We're going to win and we're going to be so sick of winning. And and I hate to say it, this is such an epic failure, not just for for the Republican Party, not for just for the House of Representatives, I think, but for Donald Trump to essentially realize what it takes to govern. You can't just say it, say it is so, and, and so it is. It doesn't exist. That's not the way it works. And he's got to find a way to work with legislative leaders, and, and unfortunately he hasn't done that. He's proven his inability to do that so far. Well, I, those are all great points. I think what we see here is, and there were members, it was not as if the 31 or 30-something members of the Freedom Caucus were all no's on the health care bill. They were, there were some who were yeses. The problem was, is like with anything, as support disintegrates, then more people jump off. Also, as you modify the bill, the other people jump off on the other side, and you have a very unruly caucus of, and, and, and you know, you know from being part of a legislative caucus, actually, you know, maybe explain to people exactly, you know, you have different members with different interests, different groups within those caucus. You have moderates, you have conservatives, everybody wants something, and if you give something to one side, the other the other side gets something. I think the one, you know, big mistake legislatively here that happened was that, tr- that the White House chose to engage the Freedom Caucus individually. And I get, you know, kind of go around the speaker, go around and, you know, they kind of felt potentially emboldened to make their own demands and negotiate directly with the White House, even though it was actually it was the House leadership's bill. It really showed that the inexperience of the White House here, and it's not a, a Democrat-Republican, it's not a, I don't even think it's a conservative-liberal issue. This is just kind of legislation 101 of you have to allow the leadership to you know if the leadership is carrying the bill and they're pushing the bill and they're pushing something forward they're the ones that you got to deal with and let them deal with their members if you make you can't have if you have 230 something members of the republican conference or 240 you, you can't negotiate with each one individually it just shows a lack of experience and sort of uh you know, it's essentially this is why it's such a failure, because let's forget the substance of the matter for a moment. Let's forget Obamacare. Let's forget health care for a moment. The president has said for more than a year now, we've all been hearing that he is the best deal maker and how he can get it done and how he's going to bring everybody to the table. And he's going to he's 
again, he is going to take this country and, and make it great again. And yet here is literally his first test where he can't do it on his own. He's got to work with others and he's unable to do it for many reasons, as you pointed out. You know, before joining Yeshiva University as a government, you know. As oh, yeah, we just forgot to mention that earlier. Uh, Phil Goldfeder, the Assistant Vice President for Government Affairs at before, Yeshiva University. Before joining, former Assemblyman for the 23rd Assembly District of Queens. Before joining, uh, before joining Yeshiva University, I did have the opportunity to sit in the legislature in the State Assembly for five years. And, and you learn that you can't always get what you want, right? right? I'm pretty sure there's a song, you know. I, I think so. Yes, it's, you, it's a theme song, actually. A little Rolling Stones for us there. You can't. You can't. You're not going to win every point, and you have to make concessions, and you have to negotiate, right? And so, yes, especially in New York State, for example, as we're doing the budget negotiations now, you know, the governor has one set of priorities. The the state senate, who's led by the Republicans and the Independent Democratic Conference, have their own set of priorities, and the state assembly have their own set of priorities. And you've got to find a way to take all three of their priorities and make it fit into one very little budget. That being said, is that that is, that is what, what I would argue is that businessmen do every single day, right? You know, they take these big deals and, and, these, uh, and these big interests and they try and find ways to make it all fit together. Arguably, that is what President Trump is best at, which, again, continues to prove that maybe we shouldn't have believed him. Maybe he wasn't the best man to get this job done. And, and quite frankly, I think it... It really leaves a lot of doubt for the future. Now, here's the saddest part, and I think you and I have pointed this out so many times before, because when you make a mistake or when you trip and fall, you get up, you brush yourself off, you apologize, and you move forward. I don't recall this week hearing either an apology or, you know, we did it wrong or we have to do it differently in the future. All I heard was posturing how this is not bad, how we're still moving forward, how things are still getting, uh, still going well. And, and quite frankly, I don't see this, this presidency learning from, learning from this mistake and going on and doing things differently in the future. And as we've said so many times, right, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting mm-hmm. a different result. Are we going to see something different from this White House? Well, the, the route you have to think about here, and as like with anything, you have to get to a certain number, and that number is 218, uh, despite the fact that Sean Spicer continues to say 216 in this briefing. 218 is actually the number of the 435 members of the House. 218 is actually a majority. But we'll leave that aside. A lot of people have a mental block on certain numbers. I have that occasionally, I will admit. The, uh, but he is the White House spokesman, but we'll leave that aside. Uh, the, <laughs> I think, I'm sorry, I don't know why that keeps bothering you. It just does bother, it bothers me. Every time he says 216, it bothers me. Okay, but you have to take a point. If you can't count on the Freedom Caucus votes, then you actually have to bring in some Democrats. And the one thing that every Republican criticized Barack Obama for was leaving the Republicans out of the health care, leaving, leaving him out of Obamacare. And I think he did that he did that poorly, using budget reconciliation, doing it in a way that was only partisan, was a totally Democratic bill. And I think that that cost the Democrats significantly in the midterm elections uh, because, it was a, because you own it. Healthcare is so big that it really needs to be bipartisan. I, I don't, it, it's such a big piece of the American economy. It's such a big piece of every American's life. That it's got to be a bipartisan effort. And whether or not, look, we can make judgments whether the Democrats do want to work with the White House. They don't want to work with the White House. Either, either way, what happened was they didn't work together. Now, Trump is actually <laughs> saying, you know, he gave a speech to the senators uh, this week after, in the aftermath, and said, you know, uh, quote, uh, th- that... I know that we're all going to make a deal on health care. It's such an easy one. 
So I have no doubt it's going to happen very quickly. This is this is this week. I think it will actually. It's been going to happen because we've all been promising Democrat, Republican. We've all been promising that to American people. We're going to do a great job. Hopefully, it will start being bipartisan. President said. Uh, really? Go ahead. Really? <laughs> really? Well, he did say it. You're, are you I, questioning whether he said it? No, <laughs> I'm not questioning whether he said it. Again, once again, you're not changing your tunes. You know, it's fascinating to me that you can control the White House. You can control the House of Representatives. You can control the United States Senate and still find a way to blame the Democrats when things don't go right. It is amazing. I well, can't believe the Democrats didn't work with us. You didn't welcome them in. You didn't make them feel like you wanted to work with them. Let's be realistic here. Let's call it, let's call it what it is. And so for him, I hate to say it, at what point does Donald Trump lose credibility? He has no more credibility. His words do not mean anything anymore. Am I wrong? Well, they mean less. I mean, there's no question. <laughs> Come on. I think as president, as president, his words are do have significant meaning. I I'm think, not, no, I, no, I, no, think no. I think you the pro- I didn't I think, mean that. I think the problem is is that he doesn't realize how much meaning his words have, and therefore he's very cavalier about what he says, and and even his obfuscation of the facts or total lack of facts. Well, okay. And as we as we go and saying things that continue to be not factual, I mean, including continuing to claim that about illegal voters in the election and the investigations going on, which doesn't seem to be. You want to talk on. about wiretapping again? No, we can talk. About, well, I think we should get into <laughs> Russia for a second. Yeah, yeah, we have. We actually have to switch gears because we're going to start. We we got to move on to other topics as 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 we go. But this is actually a good segue to talk about the Russia investigation, which seems to be a total mess. Although we, we the the inviting members of Congress to the White House for private meetings right. when they're so, chairing big so, committees. So I think we saw yesterday, and, and you know, I don't want to. We, we, we can all knock Washington and we can all knock government in general, but we really shouldn't. We do that. We do that at our peril. We can all sit here. You know, we can sit here in Central Park in Cedarhurst, New York, and <laughs> you're on spin class on the Malcolm Siegel Network. And we can all sit here and pontificate and talk about how terrible government is. But at the same time, a lot of people out there take these jobs very seriously. And you saw that yesterday with Senator Warner and Senator Burr uh, of the Senate Intelligence Committee standing together. And Senator Burr said something very profound. It should be obvious he said that i have take a job and i have it very seriously and it tr- and it and it overrides every any partisan loyalty that i have my job is to the constitution of the united states to the american people and you know to the country and you know it, when we all start thinking about that that is you know that's important as we see the the contrast with what's going on in the House Intelligence Committee, which is an absolute mess. There's no... It's a total dereliction of duty. I don't want to... And you know what? I don't want to... I'm sure Devin Nunes has his reasons, the House Intelligence Chairman, for whatever he did and whatever, but I think that, as usual, number two, two things with that, and I'll let you go, is... The appearances are terrible, and when you're sitting in that situation, you don't want to have bad appearances because you're investigating. You want to look like you're actually doing things. That And number two is when you go into the White House, it's tracked. So they know who let him in, who showed him, who met with him. It's all there. I've, you know, I've been a visitor in the White House. I know the, what it takes to get in, and it's the same for a member of Congress. And for the White House to stand up there, and the White House spokesman, Sean Spicer, say, I don't know. I can't get that information. I'm still looking for that information. The cover-up is worse than the it's, crime. Uh, That's the problem. I mean, there's, nothing, there's not even a crime here, but the cover-up is worse. We have been saying that since day one of this administration, right? We, we started that conversation when it came to the, to the Holocaust Remembrance Statement, right? Like, don't deny it. Don't, don't, don't double down. Don't dig your heels in. Just own it, and it goes away, right? Tell the American people the truth, and it, and it goes away, right? Look, in politics, and I can tell you this as, as, a, as a recovering politician myself, is that perception is everything. And so... 
going, you know, having this position and, and uh, uh, chairman of a powerful committee that's charged with investigating White House uh, statements, actions, and, and so on, for him to go to the White House, even if he was going for dinner because he was told to try the steak, right? He's going for dinner. You make it very clear what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're doing it because it won't matter. Perception is everything. And quite frankly, the denying, the hemming and hawing by the White House as to why and who and where is just an insult to the American people. Because you and I both know, and, and you and I both know, that, that these things just don't happen, right? And anybody can just walk in, the, I want to go to the White House today. It just doesn't happen. No, no, I want to go to the White House to examine confidential <laughs> intelligence material in a SCIF, which is a secure, right. <laughs> secure compartmentalized information. Uh, uh, it, 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 that just doesn't happen, right? It doesn't happen without some type of authorization, no matter who you are. And it's just the idea that they can't go ahead and be forthcoming about it. It's it's just more and more. But I you and do you I, do see a pattern here is well, that they just want to wait it out and continue to say and then and then eventually after a week when reporters are still asking about it, they're gonna say you're still asking about that. <laughs> Can you guys? And I, I, by the way, it's, it's a great no. It's a great device. And, and you see actually as it goes as it stretches out, it says the only people who care about it are the media. You know because the public has a very short attention span as we know, and. People just are kind of get a little sick of it. People are exhausted about it. They don't want to. They don't want to go ahead and, and you know we we get together once a week to talk about it, and we try and there's so much over the course of the week to even digest. So perhaps this gets lost. I mean, think about this, right? We, again, you know, a lot of people believed, and I think we talked about this for a moment that you know the wiretapping story and or claim or tweet was used as a distraction for Russia. But like every single week, you know, whatever it is, whether it's Nunez, whether it's wiretapping, and he still claims Russia, it happened. Fine. Regardless of that, we get, we just keep outlandish sort of in any other presidency, in any other time in our nation's history, any one of these things would have sank political operatives, would have sank staff, would have potentially sank a president and or members of Congress. This, everybody, we just, no one is surprised by this anymore. No one is shocked. No one is getting sunk. Business as usual in this new regime in which we live. Well... It is an open question still as to reputations being tarnished and whether people will be able to recover post, you know, if you want to look already post-Trump presidency, uh, which is, you know, it's a long way away when you think about it. But will these, a lot of people will potentially have uh, some reputational issues given, and, you know, Devin Nunez being the latest one of them. I mean, I, you think, you know, he did not go into this. Yes, he was a Trump transition member. Yes, he was a supporter of Trump. But you, to the extent now that he seems to just be all out avoiding any questions about things, he just kind of got trapped here. And, you know, Sean Spicer being another one where the, you know, as a communications professional, when the, everybody in the media basically just does not believe you, it's it's just and you know Kellyanne Conway being beforehand Paul Manafort now having his issues. Well, he wasn't um, very involved. Right, right, limited role. Uh, but no, y you do wonder whether this will have a reputation. But there is this alternative universe. I don't want to say it's alternative, but there is alternative facts. Is that, is alter that like alternative facts? There is, there is of of a lot of the country. Forty percent, thirty-eight percent of the country. There's you know, th I mean, look, the numbers are historic low, but remember, it's thirty-eight percent of the or thirty-six percent every day. It's you know, it declines a little bit, but one percentage point really does matter it's of that, that still thinks that this president is doing very well and it proves of his job performance now 55 percent do not 
but which is these are historically low numbers. I mean, everyone wants to say Obama was very unpopular. Trump is the least popular president in modern history uh, right now. And but and again, I'm saying this is not the. He's not doing 100% of a bad job. There are things that he's doing that he's doing pretty well. Um, but I do think that these are subsumed by all this all this circus that's going around. Okay, well, okay, look, we talk about the circus going around. I mean, if you take a look at, at the most recent tweets, I mean, enough is enough is well, enough. Well, he's back on Hillary, so you know that somehow uh, you know that he's still trying to win the 2016 this election. This is the president he's of the United States. He's still trying States. to win the election. He it, didn't. Nobody told him the campaign is over. Between like going after the New York Times or CNN or fake news or Hillary or any, I Michael, these are things that I wouldn't tweet. Right? These are things that you wouldn't tweet. Well, I, let's let's call it what it is, right? <laughs> because it just is. This is the president of the United States. I'm sorry. You know what? And for every one of his supporters who are listening, and and, and I'm sorry. I need you to explain to me why this is okay. Right. Forget everything else. Let's forget immigration and let's forget wiretapping and let's forget Russia and let's forget health care. Let's forget everything else. Let's forget Holocaust Remembrance Statement. Let's forget every gaffe. Right. Tell me why the last 10 tweets were OK. Explain to me why they were OK and why it's necessary for a president, a sitting United States president to do that, to say it and to act the way he's acting. Well, even something as supposedly innocent as his when he gave a speech to the senators this week and he talks about how our troops are fighting successfully in Iraq or doing a great job fighting in Iraq. Now actually our troops are not fighting in Iraq currently. They're just there advising. And they're they're naturally not, you know, the, the American troops are actually and so people were said, What what do you mean? And, you know, it's it's just his looseness with but there is the idea that, that they're the they are now saying that you can't take the president literally. He's, you know, he was joking. He was this. I, you know, we, we, I don't want to rehash this because we got a lot to talk about. We got 10 minutes left. This is Spin Class here on the Knockham Siegel Network. Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder come to you for such Park and Cedars, New York. Let's talk about APAC for a second. Okay. Big APAC policy conference this past week. Biggest one in, in APAC history. Oh, every year it's the biggest one. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get there. Uh, bad weather here in New York, uh, grounded uh, the, by fog. But, we, next year we should do a show from there. I think that that would be that would, the great good idea. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll make up make to do note. that. Okay, Jason Capel, you listening? Uh, the uh, <laughs> anyway, great thing. APAC, the altar of bipartisanship. I mean, this is a this is a thing that APAC, you know, kind of and and Mike Pence, the featured speaker, basically, you know, says for the first time in a long time, you have a friend in the White House. Um, other speakers also very partisan uh, that you have. Even some of the Israeli speakers also were pretty partisan in talking about the there. Were does seem to be a feeling amongst a certain group within APAC that the Trump administration is going to be much better um, and for Israel. And, you know, that's the question is now, can APAC continue their bipartisanship? Yes, there were a lot of Democrats there who were trying to make the case, but there is this feeling out there that it's going to be, you know, Republicans. At the same time, a lot of people now hung up on the fact that the vote for David Friedman, her confirmation vote, he was sworn in uh, last night in the White House by uh, Mike Pence. Congratulations to uh, 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 David Friedman, local uh, local man here from Woodbury. And I want to say that the a lot of people are going after your former boss, uh, Chuck Schumer, as saying, how could, how could he vote against David Friedman? Number one, a New Yorker. Number two, the president should get to pick his ambassador. And why is Chuck Schumer supporting Keith Ellison and not... 
David Friedman as ambassador. So let's start. Let's let's take this a step back and, and just yeah, there's like twenty questions. Yeah, there. I was gonna say let's let's start with APAC. And I again, I, I commend them. I think they're doing an amazing, amazing job. They they always have and they continue to get better. Given the the new challenges, right? They've got to walk a very fine line, right? And so last year, I think a lot of people were critical because when some of the presidential candidates last year spoke. You know, and some not just what they said, but then some of the reactions from the people uh, made some news and, and, and got people a little bit upset about, well, should candidates speak? Shouldn't they speak? And, and what kind of message are we sending? And look, you can't blame APAC for the substance or the content of the speakers um, that are speaking. And, and unfortunately, and unfortunately, obviously, you're getting support from Democrats and from Republicans. And you, you look at certain speeches for, for some hope and some of this idea that this is not a partisan issue and that Democrats and Republicans have to find a way to work together. Sadly, that statement is becoming more and more of just a talking point. Right. This is not Israel is not a partisan issue. It's not a Democrat or Republican issue. You and I both know that. I think that we understand that. But it's becoming more of something to say versus something we actually do in government. And that is a challenge. I think APAC is going to have to start to take very, very seriously and deal with. Again, you know, historically, they've done an amazing job of dealing with things just like this. And I think that they're going to continue to do a great job. But I, I do think this is a real problem. It's a real problem in that. You're going to see people dig in just because that guy said this, you know, just because, you know, Joe Democrat said this, you know, John Republican is going to have to respond by saying something else, even though arguably they should be saying the same thing when it comes to issues like APAC. And, and, and there's very few that actually cut across both lines. I mean, there are very few topics that cut across both lines, and, and this is one of them. And so, you know, look, there's the, the question of, and, and you really did sort of throw a lot out there. I mean, the question of whether, well, the president should get to pick his own ambassador is sort of flies in the face of there's a reason we have a confirmation process, right? There's there's a checks and balances, and there's a reason that we have a, a confirmation process. We've got to get through that process. We started this show by talking about how do you make a deal, right? You've got to get people on both sides to find ways to work together, and that requires making certain concessions. And so, look, Senator Chuck Schumer, who is a friend, who is a mentor, who is somebody who I, I respect a tremendous amount, is trying to do the best he can to lead an entire conference, right? A conference, a minority conference in the Senate that is different, right? You have very, very differences of opinion fr across the spectrum um, from Bernie Sanders on, on up or down. You literally have a, a tremendous amount of, of differing opinions. And, and his job is not to pick one side and say, I'm going to work with them. Because what happens when you do that? Well, you can ask Paul Ryan and the health care bill when it happens when you just take a few people and think you're going to lead the entire, the entire house. I think Chuck Schumer is, is, is walking a very difficult tightrope and doing an amazing job at it, right? Yeah, but is he losing his pro-Israel cred here? I don't think so. I mean, if anybody who saw his speech at APAC, I thought it was not only very well delivered, but the substance as well. I mean, look, Chuck Schumer understands this issue better than most. But if David Friedman is going to win anyway, okay, his confirmation is assured. Why are you taking the... Why are you taking the the leap of voting against him why why is it that i mean it, it's not as if he is i mean because of a comment he made about the because david you know friedman is not a diplomat david friedman is not an expert david friedman is not an expert on diplomatic relations and and while yes it is historic it is sort of practice historically that well your donors or your friends well that's that israel in fairness exactly after, okay. uh, and that's exactly where i was going israel is an important ambassadorship and I think the reason why we need a confirmation process and the reason why, I hate to say this, you know, some, you know, a, a guy like Chuck Schumer or any member of the Senate who voted against, because I want more than a bankruptcy attorney from New York because he's good friends with Donald Trump or he was a good advisor to Donald Trump to be ambassador to Israel. All of a sudden, because he was able to close a bankruptcy deal, all of a sudden he can get both sides um, 
Uh, he can well, get he both knows Israel and the Palestinians. He together. knows. He knows. Like, look, you see, he he knows Israel very well. He he speaks, not, he speaks fluent Hebrew. He's not. You know, it's not as if he's remarkably unqualified. I, I don't look. You know, there's the question of whether you can make the case that he doesn't have the necessary qualifications. I think you and I can make that. He's case. qualified. It, you just don't. You just don't like his politics. That's the problem. And I think when it comes down to it, if people don't. They think. I. I, I let's get by that the way. Right. They think he's too right wing. Fine. By okay. the way. So, but but that's the point. But, is he or isn't he? Right. But, so so to get up at your confirmation. By the way, and I, I watched nearly the entire confirmation hearing, right, uh, or listened to it, to get up and just essentially recant everything you have ever said to that point, a lot of people would say that, you know, wait a second, he recanted everything just because he wants to be ambassador. Great, but maybe his views are too right wing. Maybe. Is that not possible? Right? We just talked about being pragmatic and finding ways to work together, and maybe David Friedman is not that guy. And by the way, this is not what I'm necessarily believing. I'm saying is that I understand why somebody like Chuck Schumer, who has a complicated conference that he has to work with and lead, would make a decision like this, because I understand that. Well, I, I just think the issue, I'm, I'm, and I'm going to, is that you, want, you style yourself and you position yourself as as solidly pro-Israel, Shemir Yisrael. I don't want to, it's not, I don't think, I'm not going to use the hypocrisy word. It's not, I, and I don't think that that's the case here. We know politics is at play here. I just think, that, truthfully, if it's if it's going to, I think that Democrats could have supported him. The same way that the Democrats, I think, are making a huge mistake with regard to Neil Gorsuch in in making a filibuster here. This is not the seat they should be worried about. This is that conservative replacing conservative. You draw the line in the sand here, you know, continuing to obstruct and, and look, you could, the, the Democrats should say, send us more nominations because the 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 president has has a lot of jobs unfilled, and send us more. You know, this, they are now getting the blame for being obstructionist, even though actually not by voting against every everybody. It's really the president who hasn't been filling the jobs. Um, we are actually running out of time, but I want to give our spin of the war uh, spin uh, award of the week uh, once again. We're going to give that to Sean Spicer uh, when <laughs> asked about the once again about Russia and Russia ties about Jared Kushner being interviewed, etc. Uh, he turned around to. To a reporter and said, if the president puts Russian dressing on a salad, you would call that a Russia tie. I mean, it is just a childish reduction of this entire controversy as if, you know, as if it just doesn't exist. It's it's really quite amazing um, what we see every day in this in this case. And um, I also want to commend the president for slapping Angela Merkel with a $374 billion bill at their meeting. Way to be diplomatic. We have now a situation where we have really, really gone out of our way to... Uh, uh, anger our friends. So that's it here for Spin Class. Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfitter here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.